Please turn uh, with me in your Bibles again to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. One of the, one of the features uh, recently in the countryside in Scotland is that you come across uh, areas where there's lots of wee cairns of stones. Um, I can think of one part of the coastline where there just seems to be dozens of these uh, little heaps of stones and it seems to be just a, a fad. I don't know what the significance of having loads of little cairns close together is. Uh, they're not going to be there for very long. The elements are going to blow them over, probably. So they don't really have a huge amount of significance. Uh, there are, of course, other uh, more significant, more robust cairns which have uh, a deep significance. They may be maybe marking the, the summit of a hill. Uh, or they may be marking a place where someone died on a hill, an accident, somebody who had lost their foothold and fallen off. Uh, and then there are stone memorials that we have in Scotland, and especially in, in this part of the world, many uh, parts of the countryside will have memorials to the Covenanters who gave their lives uh, for their faith. And these memorials are still kept up today. And there's organisations like the Scottish Covenant Memorial Association. So these are significant, they're meaningful, uh, they, they tell a story about an individual, they're there because it's important to remember what went on. And in the Bible, stone memorials are hugely significant. Uh, they don't only mark a historical event, but they're there to teach an abiding truth about God and his ways. Here is something significant that God did. And there is a truth to be learned from this, which is an abiding truth. It goes down through the generations. It's to be learned and passed on. So there are, they are deeply significant uh, stones or memorials. Now the idea that history, that something in the past can teach us something today which is of, of abiding value, is something that uh, many modern people uh, don't believe. A lot of modern people uh, hold to the idea that history is automatically moving forward in a progressive way. Uh, we are much more enlightened, so people say, than previous generations. And so we've no need to go back and learn a lesson from the past to judge current behavior because we're progressing. History is always moving forward. And something is discredited simply because it comes from the past. You know, that was then, but this is now. I don't know if you get that, but if, maybe if I flesh it out, you'll see what I'm speaking about. Uh, what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. We look on the past with disdain. Uh, but people will say things like, well, we don't do that in this day and age, right? Or we don't do that in the 21st century. Implication? We know a lot more in this day and age than they did then when they were benighted. But now we're enlightened. And another way that it's shown is in the way that people want to uh, identify with what they see as progressive ideas. So take, for example, gay marriage. 
uh, divided opinion. It was uh, seen as, as wrong. But now, many people will say, well, you don't want to be on the wrong side of history. You hear that expression? Quite frequently, on the wrong side of history. History is moving forward, away from ignorance and bad values, towards enlightenment and good thinking. And so you want to be on the right side of history. You want to be progressive. You want to affirm these things. Well, if we think that way, or if we've been tempted to be caught into that mindset, then we need to understand that when the Bible speaks, God is speaking to us, and to have confidence in that, and to come to our Bibles and hear the truth of the Bible resonating. It's rings of truth, timeless truth that does not change uh, with the passing of the years. Moses has died. Joshua is his successor. After nearly, just short of the 40 years, after nearly 40 years of wandering, they're at the edge of the Jordan. Big problem. They're to go into Canaan, but the Jordan is in spate. Absolutely unfordable at that time of year. Then God does something that only God could do, something which is absolutely supernatural. He causes the waters to pile up upstream at a place called Adam, so that the people are, that, well, so that, first of all, the, 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 the priests are, go onto the, the Jordan, the waters pile up upstream, and then the host of Israel, the great army and all the people hurry across on dry land onto the other side of the Jordan River. And all the time, the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant are remaining on the dry river bed until all the people have passed over. And then God commanded that they set up a stone memorial, one from each of the 12 tribes, was to take a stone from the river bed, and the 12 stones were set up as a memorial at Gilgal. Verse 9 in chapter 4 is a bit difficult. Uh, it's possible, it seems to suggest that there were two memorials, and it is possible that there was one that was placed uh, where the priests had stood, which would be visible when the waters were low, uh, or perhaps just uh, seen through the waters. We're told that the people were in awe of Joshua that day. In other words, God gave credibility to this new leader of the people by this mighty act. But above all, it's been a lesson about God and his ways. Joshua is simply the channel uh, for God's mighty act. And then, and this is the, this is the burden of our, of our teaching material this morning, the Lord gives instructions about the usefulness of this cairn on the other side, of these 12 stones that have been uh, placed on the other side. They are to bring to mind vital eternal truths about God and his ways which have been revealed by this great historical event, the crossing of the Jordan. 
And the lessons flow out to an ever-widening circle, an ever-widening audience. First of all, uh, there are the people themselves, that generation that crossed over. And secondly, there are the succeeding generations, the children who will follow on. And then thirdly, all the peoples of the earth will be instructed by the message of the stones. First of all then, there was the generation that crossed over. This had been a tremendous event uh, for them, a tremendous experience. It taught them that their God is omnipotent. He can do all his holy will. In particular, it taught them there is no barrier, no opposition, no challenge that can prevent God from fulfilling his purposes in our lives. God promises that he'll give the land to the people. He does so as far back as Abraham. God will give the land to his people. Nothing will prevent him. Not the mighty Jordan in full flood will prevent them crossing over. God is able to take each one of his children to their final destination. And that is our lesson also. If we are Christians, if we're following Jesus, he will carry us safely through. He will take us to our final destination. Sometimes in, uh, in hymnody and so on, we speak of the Jordan as uh, that last river when we cross through the Jordan uh, to our eternal rest. And Jesus will carry us through the waters of death till we are with him eternally. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Not death itself, not its icy waters can keep us from him. Now, all the way through uh, this book, uh, we meet with stones that have lessons. Uh, there are, significantly for the Bible, there are seven stones in Joshua that have lessons to teach the people. Uh, this is the first of them. The second is in chapter 7. It's a grim memorial because in chapter 7 it's the memorial that's built over Achan. Uh, Achan, who had uh, disobeyed God, uh, who stole and covered up. It's a reminder to Israel that Israel will always have the potential to sin and wander away from God and that there's a terrible price to pay. Chapter 8, there's another memorial over the grave of the kings of Ai. Remember, because of Achan's sin, uh, they had been defeated by Ai. But uh, it's a reminder now that God uh, extends the offer of the second chance of restoration to people who mess up. It's a glorious reminder. Chapter 8 also, Joshua makes a copy of the, the law on two stones as a reminder of Israel's duty to live under God's instruction. In chapter 19, there's a stone memorial to remind them of the time of when God enabled them to keep a solemn promise uh, that they had made to the Gibeonites. And the lesson here is, if we honour, if we seek to honour God by being people of our word, and the Israelites had felt bound 
to, to stand by the Gibeonites when they've been attacked. If we are people of our word, as Stones are teaching us, God will help us to honour him through keeping our word. Uh, in chapter 22, there's a memorial in Gilead, which reminds us of the importance of the unity of God's people. That stone was a reminder to the two and a half tribes that stayed on the, the eastern side of the Jordan, that they were at one with the tribes on the western side of the Jordan. The unity of the people of God is important. It's testified to that stone. And then finally, chapter 24, there's a stone that stood as witness to Israel's duty to serve the Lord who had fulfilled all his promises to the land, to the people of Israel. Now, when you read through the book of Joshua, uh, you come to the conclusion, well, Israel must be a land absolutely strewn with, uh, with stones, with rocks of all kinds, reminding people of the past. You'd think that uh, the people who'd seen God work as powerfully as he had wouldn't need reminding, that they would remember what God had done. But of course they didn't. And we wouldn't, because we're sinful. And because we're sinful, we forget what God has done. And so God causes them to raise up things that will remind them to be thankful for God's goodness. Think about God's goodness in your own life. Think about some of the, the acts of God in your life for which you should be thankful. Bring them to mind right now. And ask yourself, when was the last time you actually thanked God for that? We need reminders to thank God. Uh, I'm sure people wonder sometimes at the names of churches. Well, uh, there are, in our own locality, if you think there's at least a couple of churches, there's probably a lot more, called Ebenezer. There's Ebenezer in, in Airdrie. That's a very significant name because it relates to uh, a battle that uh, Israel fought under Samuel. And uh, at the conclusion of the battle, Samuel raises up a large stone and called it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. And it's a stone that would remind the people to look back, but also forward. Thus far the Lord has helped us. The implication is he will keep on helping us in the future. So it's a good name uh, for a people to have for their fellowship. Thus far the Lord has helped us. In the future he will also. Uh, some of you may know of Joni uh, Erickson Tada. Uh, here's a picture of, of Joni. She's a quadriplegic. Uh, she was a lively teenager who broke her back in a diving accident. And she had some very dark times uh, at the beginning of her coming to terms with this accident. She was a Christian when it happened, but uh, she really struggled with God's providence, why God allowed this to happen. And uh, quite recently, uh, she wrote this in, in her blog. Well, she says, in just a few days... I will be marking 48 years that I've lived as a quadriplegic in this wheelchair. To me, that's astounding. It's amazing. I'm not only outliving all those doom and gloom statistics I heard when I was first injured back in 1967. I'm living in such incredible good health. 
My wheelchair is to me my Ebenezer. It is my tangible memorial reminding me thus far the Lord has helped you with Jonah. It reminds me that for every battle I face, whether cancer or daily chronic pain or yes, the occasional lung infection or pressure sore, it is God who gives the victory. It is by his help that I advance. My wheelchair is a reassuring reminder that if God has brought me thus far, guess what? He will continue to help me in the future. And she continues, I hope you feel the same. If God has brought you through a battle or many battles, raise a memorial. Friend, raise your Ebenezer. Look for something tangible in your life that reminds you of the way God fought for you when you were struggling. Let it be a reminder. Look to it often. Be inspired by it. Be blessed knowing that if God has helped you this far, he'll continue to help you. There are a number of ways in which we can have things that tangibly remind us of God's goodness. But the wonderful thing is that, that God has, has provided himself uh, two wonderful ways of reminding, bringing to, remind, to our minds the goodness of God. And these are the sacraments. The, the, the baptist, sacrament of baptism and the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. They are... Uh, Ebenezer's, if you like. They are stones that are living and remind us of, of important truths. Uh, when, we, when we see someone baptized, whether it's uh, an adult professing his faith or, or a child of, of Christian parents uh, being brought in faith, that the symbolism of water is reminding us of the fact that, that uh, we come under the, the judgment, the water judgment of God as sinners. But on the cross, Jesus has borne the judgment of God against sinners. So that the sign becomes not a sign of curse, but of blessing. Reminds us that we are united with Jesus in his death to sin and his resurrection to new life. That's a powerful reminder. And when we are downcast and when we doubt, then simply reminding ourselves of our own baptism or recalling perhaps a, a, a baptism service is a mighty way of, of visualizing the blessings of God. Martin Luther, who was uh, a very kind of volcanic personality, had, had times when he was prone to, to dark periods. And, and his way of holding fast to God was to remind himself that he was a, a baptized person, that he, uh, he brought to mind the significance of water baptism. And then, of course, there's the Lord's Supper. And, and Jesus specifically says, do this in remembrance of me. It's a, a memorial meal. And we bring to mind the, the powerful love of Jesus for us. The fact that he poured out his blood uh, generously, abundantly, with grace that we might be forgiven. That his body was broken uh, and broken for me. It's a powerful sign. It's a, an Ebenezer, if you like. It brings to mind the blessing of Jesus uh, in his past act on Calvary. 
So the, the stones at, the, at Gilgal were to remind uh, the, the, the current generation, but also there was the, not just the problem of, of forgetfulness of people who had actually been there, but there was the problem of passing on the memory to people who weren't there. In verse 21, which echoes verse 6 earlier, uh, says that in the future when our descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. Now, there's a, a very sound educational method here, isn't there? The stones are there to provoke inquisitiveness. Uh, uh, an inquisitive child is a lively learner. And it, uh, all teachers will want to, to provoke inquisitiveness in their children. Uh, so that they'll ask the question. And then there will be a, a, an opportunity uh, for the question uh, to be answered. And they wouldn't forget. It's all about creating memory. It's creating a memory of the time when they engaged with their parent and some truth was passed on. But going back further, it's, they were taught there something further back, a memory from the past. Now, I've heard it said that much in good parenting involves us creating good memories for our children. Being willing to, to give time to our children so that the things that we do together with them will stay with them all through their lives. And not only that, but seeking to create memories which will teach truths down through the years. And as I, as I was thinking that, I was thinking of my own uh, memories that I have which were passed on largely by my father I think I think of, of uh, walks that we would have when he would teach us simple things like how, how you know where the north is by seeing where the moss is growing on a stone or how you identify trees and things like that but then there were times when he would give us uh, of himself and he would teach us the meaning of things that we had learned in church and these things which, were, which came from his mouth, were often more powerful than truth from elsewhere. He created memories that are treasured. And sometimes uh, the, the questions that we get from, from children, especially when they're, they're, they're very wee, they come at awkward moments. It'd be nice if we could organize life so all the all the questions came when we had plenty of time to respond to it. But it doesn't happen like that. They come uh, when we're busy, when we're wanting to get on to something else. And Scripture is teaching us the importance of, of patience. These are important opportunities. We're investing uh, in our lives. We're obeying the Scriptures, which tell us when, when your child asks you, what do these stones mean? You have to be willing to sit down with them and explain to them what exactly these stones mean. For the adults, it was obvious what the stones stood for. They'd either been there or they had had it explained. And it might seem strange to them that their children should, shouldn't understand 
And we take it for granted sometimes that children understand all that's going on in church. But, of course, that's not the case if it's never explained to them. And we shouldn't assume that they have a, a good grasp unless we have actually sat down and answered the particular questions that they have. Think of the Lord's Supper. When the, the children of Israel were celebrating the Passover meal, there were parallel instructions uh, for them, for the father of the household to be ready to answer the question. And one of the children, what does this mean? In fact, in later years, there was almost a, a ritual asking of the question by one of the children in the family, and the father would explain the meaning of the Passover. And your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Tell, then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. In the same way, we, we always have the children in the church when we are having the Lord's Supper, even although they aren't partaking of it. That's good. But then it's up to us to explain to them what exactly is going on when the, the wine is poured and the bread is broken. And then down through the generations, this truth is passed on. Now there's an interesting, uh, an, an interesting possibility at least that uh, hundreds and hundreds of years after this, John the Baptist is standing possibly at this same spot. And he has all these religious people who've come out from Jerusalem and they're priding themselves on their religious background. They are Jews. Uh, they're maybe uh, leaders in the synagogue and so on. And John's calling them to repentance and he's exploding the idea that you can never be right with God by relying on your religious pedigree. And just perhaps, John points to these stones and says... Don't think uh, to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children to Abraham. We don't know, but it would make sense, wouldn't it? Because that's exactly what the stones are saying. The, the stones are saying God is omnipotent. There's nothing that he cannot do. He can part the Jordan. And John's saying, God can raise up children of Abraham from these very stones. That's the kind of God he is. Therefore, don't think that you can rely upon your religious background. You need to trust in the Saviour, the Lamb of God, to whom I point. So we have the generation that were there. We have the succeeding generations that were to learn from the historical event of God's mighty power. And then, and this is wonderful, uh, it's also so that all the peoples of the world would fear God. It's as though another stone dropped in the water, sending all these ripples out, and the furthest ripple is touching all the peoples of the world. There's a missionary aspect to us remembering the great works of God. It isn't just for our sakes. Uh, or even our children's sakes, that we remember what God has done in the past, it's so that we might reach out with the message of his greatness 
to the world. Biblical Christianity is largely about bringing to mind what God has done so that we can have our lives changed by that. Back in the history of a local congregation, we remind ourselves of what God did in the past. We find that inspirational because we believe that what God did in the past, he can do again. Uh, We think on some of the great uh, heroes of church history, as we've been doing in the evening, and we remind ourselves that God raised up mighty men and women uh, who were not ashamed of Christ or to stand for him, even to the point of laying down their lives for him, and that God can do exactly the same again. These lessons are vital from us. We are, as the people of God, we are a people with a past. We mustn't live in the past, but we, on the other hand, mustn't lose our connection with the past. We learn from the past so we can live in the present and, by God's grace, change the future. And it's a remembering of the deliverance of God that moves us out into the world. Those who witnessed the stones were encouraged to think uh, not only of this crossing, they were also encouraged to reflect on the crossing of the Red Sea. God had delivered (coughs) at the cost of (coughs) of blood, (coughs) the cost of the blood of the lambs that were slain. And he had provided for the people for 40 years in the wilderness. And then at the Jordan, they were led into the land to possess it. And there was no going back. When they were on the other side of the Jordan and the waters closed over again, there was no going back. Before them was the unconquered land. There was territory territory to be claimed for Jehovah. Thankfulness, looking back upon God's mercies, on the fact that he has saved me, on the fact that he has provided for me, for the fact that he has led me, should be the driver for me to go out and share that good news with others. And if we don't take steps to remember, the devil will make sure that we forget. And so, we record, we we, uh, perhaps write down our testimony, how it was, that Jesus drew me to his cross so that we never forget that, even in its detail. And day by day, we perhaps keep a record in our prayer journal of the things that God has done for us to avoid forgetting, avoid being unthankful. And we ask the Lord to enable us to take that spirit of thankfulness into the day. And that's how remembering drives us forward. The grace of Jesus, who by his precious blood has parted the waters of sin and bondage to deliver us. That grace goes ahead of us. He leads us to bring his good news into all kinds of new situations. So the word today is let's not forget God's great grace to us, his love and mercy and power.
Let's not forget how he has helped us in the past, how he has provided for us. And let's move forward into the world, believing that he will provide for all our needs, just as he has to this point. Let's pray. Lord, our Father, we thank you for uh, the, the practical lessons of your word. And we pray, Lord, that we will uh, not be a, a superficial people who quickly forget what you have done in our lives. Help us to take pains, Lord, to recall your dealings with us, uh, to bring them to mind that we might serve you with thankfulness, that the savour of grace might continue with us through the days that stretch before us, that we might not only look back, but move forward, seeking to bring your news, your good news, uh, to those uh, who do not acknowledge you and who need to hear of Jesus. For we ask in his name. Amen.